Born down in a dead man's town. The first kick I took was when I hit the ground. You end up like the dog that's beat him to December. It's Yawn coming home in the USA. Yawn in the USA. Wow. Yawn. Rennie, don't worry. It's just the group stage. You're going to be okay. Boom. Boom, boom, ba doom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, ba doom, boom. The Week of the Tackle podcast. That was me doing the song. Mix that, Tim. Good luck, you fing dick. Um, I'm Tom Rennie. Sorry, Tim. Brian Dunseth is with me. It's a World Cup special with the Week in the Tackle podcast. Why are we so happy? Well, because after months and months of build up, Danny, the big England USMNT hashtag. Uh, game at the World Cup. We've spoken about it on such a regular basis. The thrills, the spills, the drama, the entertainment value, the quality. It's all going to be there. Can't wait for it to happen. And it was um, terrible in the end. Thoughts? Mm. De- bants. Top bants. Top bants left on the table. Uh, I don't think it was terrible. No, Rennie. I, d- I don't. I think you're completely full of shit. Sorry, Tim. I think that uh, you are downplaying the disappointment of a very drab England performance. Yes. While we here in the United States are looking at a continued growth for a young group oh, of players. Oh, here we go. When we had no expectations whatsoever, oh, when we were the better team us, for 70 us. minutes, the 70 US. minutes, we were the better team. We're just and the USA. We couldn't score we're just, a goal. We're just the biggest economy in the Western world. Oh, oh we're, so, we're such a poor set of This is our game. We're Pity English. Us. We Forgive play. Us. We invented oh, the game. We're just such a brave group of plucky underdogs of a nation of 50 million people. We're it's just so we're so brave. It's we called have the soccer. Premier League. Drummy, drummy, drum. Drummy, drummy, drum. It's called soccer. Drummy, drummy, drum. We only have one chant. That's it. We really... Da, no, da, you also, da, da, da. Did you know last night in England, uh, trending yeah. on social media, that one you, you quit... Because of the good reasons, um, yeah. trend, trending was fight and win, <laughs> which is just excellent. Because <laughs> everyone was just mugging off that incredible chart. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was doing the rounds. No, um, look, I want to talk about the US perspective. We should do England too. We have listeners in both countries, and I think this is just about that game. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, we have some fun with it, but I appreciate the positives that you've got for the US, and they are justified, and we'll talk about them, and people want to hear about them. Um, but on England. And the reaction this morning, yawn in the USA, uh, expertly sung at the top of the program, was the headline on the back page of The Sun, The Mail, The Star. Mm. Uh, everyone thought England were massively, massively underwhelming. But let me let me say this to start. Before the game, you and I were live on Grumpy Pundits on Sirius XMFC. And I said to you, scream straw this. This looks like yeah. a draw. The more we build one up one. to it, yeah. Yeah. it looks like a draw. You said 1-1. One, one. I said it screamed draw. Um, and it screamed two things to me this game. Number one, tournament football. Mm. Tournament football, baby. This was not a knockout game. This was not a battle to the death. And it screamed Gareth Southgate, England manager. Mm. Now, Gareth Southgate is a guy, I'm continually saying this, and I'm at the moment I'm kind of pissing in the wind on it with people in England because <laughs> it's kind of getting lost out in the breeze. But I keep on saying it. This guy knows how to navigate tournament football. He knows how to not lose when he doesn't want to lose. And the USA completely outplayed England in every single department in this game. But I will say England played at best at 50%. I think they went out at the start to see what was happening, feel their way through, 
take no risks, don't push anyone forward. And as they realized the US were bang up for it, they were like, draw's quite good here, actually. Mm. Let's let's play for that. And in the end, nearly Allardyced it, nicking it with a, a Harry Kane header at the end, which yeah. some would say nearly pierced the net. Um, <laughs> not common parlance, but some would say it. Um, Danny, I mean, yeah. just broad. Let's do broad first, and we'll get specific. <laughs> yeah. what, what was your broad impressions of the game? Yeah, listen, I, I, I don't, I, I don't subscribe to England starting the match thinking that we're going to go out and draw this game. I, I just, I don't believe it. I don't think that that group of players, um, have it in them to be pragmatic from the start. I think the result certainly is acceptable in the tournament football group stage. But I think once they realized, once the U.S. was able to get to halftime without conceding, and again, these are bullet points for me, defensively, and again, just a quick reminder for those that have not been paying attention, this group has now played two 90-minute performances without giving up a goal in the run of play. Hmm. So yes, the penalty, yes, the draw, all of that, even more bitter disappointment now that we look back, considering the way we played, because we could have been sitting on four points now, right? So you get into halftime, then I'll then then I will subscribe to Gareth Southgate saying, "Boys, just don't lose, yeah. just don't lose." I can understand that, and I think the subsequent substitution pattern and Phil Foden being left on the bench suggests that this was more of a pragmatic see the point out. I a hundred percent, but that's just not what it was for me for the U.S. And and again, the the expectations are so significantly different. England, this isn't about the group stage. This is. Knockout football, how yeah. far can you go? The depth of this roster, could you potentially win the World Cup? Those are all the variables. That is not the case for the U.S. The case for the U.S. is, can you be better than Wales and Iran and qualify for the group stage? And then, damn, man, let's see what we can do. Let's run this. Mm. So two very, very different sets of expectations, which is why, and again, we're, we're, we're insecure, right? We're an insecure fan base because yeah. we want to be loved. We're an insecure fan base because we want to be recognized. We're an insecure fan base because we want our players to be playing at the highest level of domestic football, to be playing and starting for their teams that are appearing in Champions League, that are appearing in Europa League. Mm. We don't care about Conference League. Um, so all of those things as an insecure nation Yes, when we have performances like this that we can say, arguably, out of the four halves of football, we've been two and a half-ish the better team. Yeah. Well, then all of a sudden, there are even bigger hopes and a bigger desire to recognize what this group is doing. So for me, I'm not trying to get too high. I'm not trying to be outlandish. But Mm. what I will say is I think that this group of players, for a U.S. fan base, we saw them not only grow into the game, but grow into a stature, which I think is recognizable of being a pretty damn good team on their day. I want to ask you about scoring goals hmm. because I have this debate all the time with the club team I support, which I'm going to be banned from talking about. And I've in fact banned myself <laughs> from talking about them for a few weeks because yep. I just, I've got a lot Mental of stress health. coming up. There's a Mental relegation health. battle coming up and I need the... I need the mental capacity to deal with it. But a conversation I'm continually having with my own brethren when it comes to our fan base is, oh, didn't such and such a player play brilliantly well in this game? And I'll say, well, did he score? Mm. Did he assist? Did he do the things that 
average players drive Lamborghinis for. Mm. Like, there's a reason that um, Weston McKenney is already a multimillionaire, that Tyler Adams plays at Leeds, that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Christian Pulisic could buy and sell all of us mm. with his incredible wealth. I bet his gaming chair is incredible. I bet it's incredible. Um, I bet it's I bet it's it's cushioned. There's speakers. There's probably some sort of diamonds in the rim. He doesn't seem classy. Probably somewhere to put the crispy bacon that no one else in the world eats. Um, <laughs> so there's a reason for it, right? And that that is do the jobs. And they don't get numbers. And I'm looking at the US and I'm watching this game. And of course, I'm hoping England do better. And of course, I'm, I'm thinking from an England perspective. But on these shows, I like to kind of consider the US as well. And in the last three years where we have spoken about the US men's team, we've watched a lot of their games. They've not played a lot of top opposition mm. going through in this tournament to go deep, to go quarters, to go semis. They're going to have to beat top opposition. They are not, if they play this group for 10 more years, going to outplay a team top 10 in the world to this degree again. They were so much better in all departments, defense, offense, midfield, the keeper, all of it. The US won in every single department, but the only department that matters is the goal scoring department and they failed. Hmm. That to me, Danny, if I was American, am I still allowed in the country? I don't know. We'll see how these yeah, shows go. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Just a visitor, just to stay at Tim's house. Um, oh, he's, he's telling me I'm not allowed now. No. Okay, no. fair enough. Just to stay at Danny's house while he's in Spain. Fair enough. I can house Fair. it. You don't want me to house it. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'd be saying. That's the narrative for me. We were great, didn't score. That to me is a massive failure. What do you think? I can understand that. I, I can understand that 100%. And I, I, do, I definitely, I don't want to say we failed, but I definitely will reestablish what my concern has been for this group is where are the goals going to come from? Um, we, we do this thing, right, where... We compare and contrast the elite of the elite based on goals and assists, right? Mm. The goals and assists separate everyone. There's a reason why we're now talking about Erling Holland, which we've kind of been waiting to talk. You know, is he the caliber of Benzema? Is he the caliber of Lewandowski? Is he Harry Kane caliber? Well, yes, but it's not based on what he did at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. And it's not based on what he did at Borussia Dortmund. It's based on what he's doing currently at Manchester City. Mm. We do the second thing where we say, okay, really good player or elite player. Okay, you have world-class, really good player, elite player. Elite players are the players that statistically show up, that during the course of a domestic campaign are anywhere hitting from like 15 and 10 up, right? 15 goals, 10 assists, or higher. 10 goals, 15 assists, higher. That's the influential final product. And then we just talk about good players. And this is the challenge, right? This is the challenge for this U.S. team. We have players that pass the eyeball test. We have players that you talk about what Christian Pulisic can do. You talk about what Weston McKinney can do. You talk about what Eunice Musa can do. You talk about what Tyler Adams can do. I thought it was another great game for Anthony Robinson. I thought it was another really solid game for Serginho Dest. I thought the partnership of Tim Ream and, and, and Walker Zimmerman was really solid. But at the end of the day, where's that goal coming from? Yeah. And, and I think I wrote it down. I think we had, I'm going to say five good chances. The most clear and obvious is Christian Pulisic smacking the crossbar because how quickly he shuffles the ball away from Trippier and smashes it with his left foot, generates enough power to beat Jordan Pickford, 
can't beat the post. McKenney had to score, Daddy. McKenney. Weston McKenney had two chances, right? Yeah, two chances. The first half one has to go. The one that comes in fast, it looks easier in slow motion, but he's turning and he's just trying to redirect it. He gets caught leaning back. The header, the other chance. Mm. Haji Wright has the half chance, and then Christian has his header. I would say for me, those are the reasonable kind of five chances in this game. That then leads to Harry Kane inexplicably with the talent level and the finishing capability he's on could have won the game, could have been a smash and grab if he doesn't push that header wide. So yeah, again, I think we're back to the same narrative for the U S men's national team. Can they play? Yes. Can they compete? Yes. Mm. Are they technically, uh, technically gifted enough to work themselves out of problems against an elite team? And I do categorize England as an elite team. Absolutely. But the goals and this again is I could have seen this this group six points, seven points. I could see them with three points. It all depends on in those moments, can they finish their chances? Um, we keep having this in this tournament about the man of the match, the player of the match thing, which uh, Budweiser is sponsoring. So I'm assuming some bod at Budweiser after the complete foul up of getting beer in the country is now sitting out on that boat off the coast, drinking all the beer and just picking the man of the match completely at random. Um, Christian Pulisic got man of the match. Now, I'm not saying he didn't play well. He did play well. That was a very strong performance from Pulisic. Uh, But the midfield is where the game was was completely won in terms of of balance of play by the US. Um, Tyler Adams, you picked him out pre-tournament as the most important player, and I think he was terrific. There was a moment where he celebrated a bit like the Tunisian guy uh, winning the ball from, I think, a sacker on a run, put a tackle in and, and celebrated like he'd scored a goal, which was cool. Um, Eunice Musa, look, I, I'm still not convinced ab- about him in terms of being uh, on the same level as the other two, but I think he played well. Um, but Weston McKenney, who was poor against Wales, looked injured against Wales. We spoke about that. I thought he was the outstanding player on the field. I thought the the athleticism of him to keep running past Bellingham and Rice made them look sluggish and slow, which is not easy because they are simply not sluggish and slow. And he made them look it. Uh, the ball control... The leading them up the field, there was part of the game somewhere in the first half where you just didn't know where he was going to be because the other two were quite banked in their positions. And at one point, he's carrying the ball forward. At one point, he's taking it off the goalkeeper. At one point, (laughs) I think Reem had it and he was like, right, I'm gone. And he was beyond Haji Wright trying to get on the end of this ball. I thought that was an exceptional performance. Midfield for me, Danny, is where... The U.S. bossed the game, and I thought McKenney. There was a big response, I think, from the Wales game, where everyone thought, including yeah. him, he was massively under par. I think Weston McKenney showed his potential to be a an elite player, an elite player in the international game and the domestic game. Um, for those that have not been paying attention to Weston when he has been available for the U.S. men's national team. These are kind of the ceiling performances that he's capable of putting in. And I think this is one of the reasons why when people say, what's Weston McKinney doing at Juve? These are the type of performances where you understand why he's good enough to play for Juve. Um, Again, I just think that his ability on the ball, his ability in spaces, his ability to sniff out how to get the best of what he needs to do, and his range, right? All of those things with a really smart smart soccer brain, you throw in his athleticism, he is 
such a gifted player, mm. such a gifted talent. So now the 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 challenge again is to match these performances. And and again, these are these are eyeball tests, right? These are snapshots. These are bullet points. And from now, every time that we see a player not up to snuff or not up to par, not playing at that elite level, this is the challenge because fans will say, Weston McKinney, what he did at England, he should be doing every single game. This has yeah. been the this has been the hard part for for Christian, is because we've seen Christian play at an elite level, an elite, elite level, play some of the biggest matches that any US fan would want a US player in. And it's now the weight of expectation to match that level. And I think Christian has been very, very good this tournament. Very, very good. And it's difficult for him to be 100% on the ball and effective because the game ebbs and flows and him trying to find his spaces without any type of pressure. But when Christian turns and spins and runs and quick little combination gets that low center of balance, the variation of movement that he can create, how he gets to the end line, how he can create a half shot, how he's looking for the way to the pass. I think Christian has been very, very good. But I also think that the players around him have, I think, unlocked a certain amount of pressure mm. because he is the focal point. He is absolutely going to be the focal point of the other team trying to snuff out what he's capable of doing. And I think that's why this collective group can be that much more dangerous because you can try to go shut down Christian. That's fine. Here comes Tim Weah. You can shut down, you know, you can try to double up back press, you know, Christian. Here comes the overlapping of Anthony Robinson. You can try to, you know, niggle and push and prod and, and, and see corral Christian. Here comes Weston McKinney. So these are all, I think, and I know I took a ton of stick for this, but I think the collective is stronger than the individual because I think within that collective, these individuals are releasing pressure for one another, which they are more than capable of rising to the occasion. But again, it comes back to where these goals going to come from because they're good performances. They have to be even better. How do you go from great performances to elite performances? And a lot of that has to do with ultimately when the final whistle blows, you've, you've won the match. Final question on the US for now, uh, before we come back to and look ahead to the Iran game. I, I did want to ask you about looking tired at the end hmm. because the Wales game was a blitz followed by a crash. And in the end, a very poor Wales team were kind of dominating match play and the US couldn't get a foothold back in the game. In this game, it went on for longer. I think England had some spells in the game as well where the US could kind of take their foot off a little bit and watch Maguire pass the Stones and Stones mm. pass the Maguire and Maguire God, pass the Stones so boring, and Stones yeah. pass the Maguire and Maguire pass the Stones and Stones pass the Maguire and Maguire pass the Stones and Stones go back to <laughs> Maguire, knock it back to the goalkeeper, into Maguire, back to Stones. I could go on. Maguire insisted, no. Um, <laughs> and you got some time maybe to take a bit of a, of a break there when that was going on. Um, but what about the fact the last 20 minutes, you know, that's when, this is not a bear holder bash, by the way. Mm. But that's when you kind of make changes to bring the energy back. And it did feel like the game was wilting by the end. The US were wilting by the end. Certainly I was wilting by the end, um, having to watch that much from an England perspective. Mm. Did you feel that happened? And, and and if it did for a second game running, how do you stop that happening against Iran? Because, you know, in these games, in major tournaments, but really across elite leagues, as you would call them, I think quite rightly, it's the last five minutes. Yeah. 
that is the most important. Be there for the last five minutes. Nobody, you know, the, the cliche is get out there on the front foot and mm. win it in the first 20. No game is won after 20 minutes. You can be mm. three new up in 20 minutes and lose 4-3. So how do you get a US team peaking in the 85th, not the 40th? Well, a couple, a couple factors here. Um, number one, I think we are seeing from a US perspective, the short timeline that they were together before the start of the World Cup, where usually there's a building of fitness to that first game included with match preparedness. Number two, you have a bunch of players that came into this World Cup that didn't have a lot of 90-minute performances underneath their belt for the U.S. men's national team. Um, so I think there's an element of fatigue where, in my mind, the youthful exuberance should be outrunning and thus outperforming the opponent. This has been the challenge, right, in these first two matches. I am like a lot of fans watching the game and thinking Brandon Aronson and Gio Reyna are available off the bench. Those two type of players could have a massive impact and effectively, dare I say it, raise the level of where the U.S. was performing in that second half. If I step back and try to be pragmatic in my approach and try to think how Greg Berhalter is seeing the game, it's got to be extremely difficult to think about replacing any of those players with the way that they were playing at the time against England. Because it's not... This is where I feel like... And I remember Ziggy Schmidt, one of the best coaches in U.S. history in terms of the game here in the United States from college soccer to MLS and was a part of was a part of counterattack before he went back to coach um, and rest in peace, one of, one of the fantastic human beings. He always used to say, don't tell me who I'm supposed to bring on. I know who I'm supposed to bring on. Tell me who you think I should bring off. And mm. then subsequently, how does that affect offensively and defensively the way that we're playing, the shape and the tactics? And when I think about that, we were talking about this yesterday when the lineups come out. Okay, Gio, Aronson, you want to play him? Great. I agree with you 100%. These guys are starting 11 players for the U.S. men's national team. Who do you drop? Yeah. Who do you drop? Who do you take out? You take out Weston? That might have been Weston's best game we've seen in U.S. men's national team jersey. Sorry, Tim. You're going to take out... you're, you're, You're not dropping Christian. This whole narrative of like, oh, he's droppable. No, he's not. He's no. Christian f***ing Pulisic. Sorry, Tim. You, not you're, not drop, you're not, not dropping Christian. So you're going to drop Tim Weah? Tim Weah is... All we talked about in the buildup to this tournament was the two matches in which we had no ability to stretch the field. What was missing? Tim Weah. Hmm. So then it's like, well, play the false nine. Play this, play that. Well, if you're going to do that, got to play a 4-4-2. You've got to have some type of high point, a reference point, Haji Wright, Josh Sargent, with Gio playing off the shoulder, which we saw. Sargent comes in, Gio plays off the shoulder. Those were the changes. So, like, these are the, the difficulties. And again, I'm not trying to be a Greg apologist. I want to see both these players interjected into this match earlier because I think they're good enough to raise that level. But who does he take out? Mm. And in that moment of time, Weston makes sense for Brendan. And I'm still, I still want Geo from the start. I still think Geo's going to be a generational player for the US. But when and how and where? And I just don't like the vibe. I don't like the buzz. I don't like the conversation surrounding Geo right now. Feels like something there is happening. I don't know what it is. I don't subscribe to know what it is. But it, I, I just, when I look at a guy that's played against Manchester City twice, 
played six consecutive matches in the buildup to the World Cup, and the fact that he's got what seven minutes in the first two matches, mm. I just didn't. I didn't have that on my bingo card. It could be long tournament planning potentially. It absolutely, uh, could from be. Greg yeah. Berhalter, which could be quite wise if you've got a round of sixteen game and suddenly you can bring in a, a fresh year arena. Um, I want to talk about England a little bit because the reaction in England has not been amazing. And I do think that people thought the game was very negative, very dull and uninspiring from an England perspective. And England just come out of a period of Nations League games and qualifiers where this malaise has been going on for a while. Um, which is kind of why the reaction to the Iran game was so surprising and people were so surprised at, at scoring goals and kind of the, the, the beast being temporarily unleashed uh, against Iran when they scored the six. You know this, Danny, uh, but for those that don't know this, I am a huge fan of Gareth Southgate. I, I, mm. I really am. And and the clamour for him to not be England manager, I think, is absurd. Um, I think it's a conversation that doesn't take into account 30 years of failure, which in itself comes after 30 years of failure. You know, England had been a joke on the international stage for a long, long time. We literally hired Sam Allardyce, okay? <laughs> so we had been a joke on the international stage for a long, long time. And we were kind of a, a joke to ourselves for a long, long time. And then Gareth Southgate came along. He changed the atmosphere around England. He changed the performances. When it came to major tournaments, he won a penalty shootout at a World Cup, which w w was a, a long-term scar on the country. And this is not to say he's above criticism. This is not to say that I wouldn't have played a more offensive team against the US. This is not to say that I don't think Phil Foden should have been in the team or at least have come on. I, I think all that stuff. It's not to say that I don't think Callum Wilson probably should have started this game or come on for Harry Kane who was struggling. Kane drops deep. There was no man up top. That allowed the US to come on strong. It wasn't working for Harry Kane. I've got my issues with Gareth Southgate. He's just a man. You know, he's not a god. But hmm. I, I do think that Gareth Southgate knows how to navigate major tournaments. I keep saying this and it keeps getting dismissed by people that I talk to, England fans and friends. Major tournaments are very, very different to qualifying, to Nations League, to anything else. And Gareth Southgate knows how to navigate. Hmm. And I think he looked at the tournament, as we discussed previously, and looked at the three games, Iran, were always going to go super, ultra, mega negative against England. They always were. That's what Carlos Quiroz does in big games. That's what he was going to do, and he knew how to break that down. I think he thinks the Wales game is infinitely winnable, and he'll know Wales inside and out, as they will know England. And I think he looked at the US game and thought, where can they hurt us? In behind. Mm. They can hurt us in behind. They can hurt us over the top. They can hurt us with energy in midfield. And here's where they get to us. I think he went into that game. I don't know if looking for a draw is the right phrase. I know you don't like that, but I do think it's a caution first, respect the point mentality because five points gets you out of the group. Mm -hmm. He knows and knew following the Wales game earlier in the day, which changes things a lot. If you know the result in the, in the other game in the group, in the last game in the group, they all play at the same time to, to take that away. But with Iran winning and England having beaten Iran, they now know with a draw, it would take a 4-0 win for Wales against England, which is not going to happen mm. as long as I have a hole in my ass. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Mm. So England now are through. 
And I think he thought, if we win, terrific. If we can score from a corner, amazing. But if we don't concede, we're through to the knockout stage of the World Cup. And there is a layer of thought into that and a layer of experience, Dunny, that I think is not respected. It isn't respected enough. And you're going to see that with other teams. You've already seen it with teams in this World Cup. It doesn't matter if you win 6-0 in a group game, if you lose the other two. What matters is get to the dance. And we are not at the dance right now. We are at the planning committee for the dance. (laughs) We are not at the dance yet. We've not bought the dress. We've not got the corsage. We've not booked the limo. The punch has not been spiked. The DJ is not booked. We are not there yet. This is not the enchantment under the sea dance. This is Calvin Klein kissing his mother. That's where we are, right? Okay. So we've got to, for fans of the movies, so we've got to, I don't know if actual Calvin Klein ever kissed his mother. That was a Mm. Back to the Future reference. Please don't sue us, the Calvin Klein underwear company. Um, And Dunny, I I think that's, that's how England played. And that's how England went about it. And it's kind of what I expected. And if you watch the European Championship and think back to England, Scotland, this Mm. big Battle of Britain encounter, this was basically that. Mm. You almost wish that this US England encounter was the very first match, or you wish it or you wish it was a round of 16 knockout game. Yeah. Um, because now we would take away what this conversation looks like. I, I think. Again, and by the way, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge England fan. I, I love watching England play. I always have. Um, it's the weight of expectation. And it's the hype of the England team. And especially coming off the manner in which they took apart systematically Iran with Marcus Rashford, uh, Phil Foden, and Jack Grealish coming on and having the effect that they had. Jude Bellingham bossing that midfield. This team was widely expected to beat this U.S. men's national team and do so comfortably because these are the expectations because of these players, not only in the international stage, but on the domestic stage as well. So again, for Gareth, middle game, full three points in the back pocket after the Iran match, knowing Wales, especially, especially, and this is where I kind of wish the games were happening at the same time yeah. because now it's very easy watching the way and the manner in which Iran beats Wales for England to sit back and say, we don't have to go for this game. We don't have to have points on the line. We know now with goal differential, there's no chance that Wales is going to beat us 4-0 and we're going through. Now, do we want to be top of the group? Do we want to be second? That's always, obviously, you want to be top of the group. You want to avoid the better teams. But, okay, what do we have to play for? We got to get through this game with a result. Don't Mm. lose this game. So I can understand that narrative. I still think they come out to win. I think at halftime, the changes, and uh, sorry, at halftime, the mentality is, let's, you know, don't lose. We ain't so good here. They're better than us. Let's let's wrap this up. Oh, this team can play. Sorry, Tim. Um, I think that was, that was the realization. So I'm, I'm good with all that. I'm fine with that. Here, here's, here's my question for you. Hmm. No jokes aside, no bans aside. Oh no, I can't do that. I'm intrigued by I'm intrigued by your perspective on this. Does your opinion about these players has it been changed based on that performance? I know they didn't win. I know they didn't score goals, but what you saw, how does the narrative around U.S. soccer look now after that ninety minutes? In terms of the U.S. players, not the England players, like the my U.S. Players, on the US correct? Players. Yeah, the U.S. players. 
Um, no, not really. It, 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 my, my personal view has not changed. It may have changed the views of people who don't watch the US as much as I'm kind of forced to because you pay me. Um, <laughs> and by that, I mean, Dunny literally pays me to watch. It's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> but look, I always thought what I thought about the US. I think they overperformed expectation against England, but I think England were very, very poor. I've always thought there are real strengths there, and I think England did not attack any of the weaknesses at all. Um, I'd like to have seen an overloaded midfield in this game because you knew McKenny, Adams and Musa were going to be full of energy, and I wonder whether two against three would work. I can see why Jordan Henderson came on, and I can see why there was some discussion that maybe he and Foden could have started in a four- or five-man midfield. But look, I think the US, as you've said a lot, and it's clear have some very, very good players. They remind me a bit, this might annoy you, I don't know, of Wales in 2016. Mm. They remind me of that Wales team who were just coming to a point of, oh, we're actually quite good. Mm. This generation of players came through together with Aaron Ramsey and Joe Allen, as he was at that point, and Gareth Bale, specifically Gareth Bale, but they also had a, a real solid group of players behind them. And I think with the right manager, with the right focus, the right tournament, looking at the next World Cup, that's probably the right tournament. I think there's a lot there, but there's clear issues missing. And what you've got is five very good players. You don't have a Gareth Bale, but you've got five Aaron Ramseys. Hmm. And I mean the 2016 Aaron Ramsey, not the ambling Eminem lookalike that he is now. You know, the player we thought, God, good player, good player, especially hmm. for Wales. You need one of those players to step into that Gareth Bale category. I don't think Pulisic is going to do that. There's a possibility that the Adams or McKennie do that, but you don't win games with your central midfielder being your best player. You've got to have someone at the top of the field to do it. So the short answer is no. I think they did more than I thought, but I still think this is a promising young team that aren't quite there. I can see them beating Iran. I can see them coming second in the group. I can see them winning the round of 16 game. And I can see a quarterfinal being a monstrously successful event for US soccer. Yeah. And then when you're in the quarterfinals, it's luck of the draw. It's who you get. It, it's how the rest of it's all gone. So, no, I always thought they were a pretty decent team. I think top 20 in the world seems about right. I think top 15 in the world seems about right. Um, but yeah, that, that was my thoughts. Did, did, did you, were you, have you changed watching that game? I have. I have. I, I think my expectations are a little bit higher. Uh, again, I will I will level it and I'll anchor it with we need to find a goal scorer. Mm. We need to find the ability. It's to, evident, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we, we, that, we've, do, it. we've done this for two years. That's there's, it. there's no striker there. If, if, if you had Callum Wilson or Ivan Tony or Tammy Abraham, the players that England aren't playing, you had one of them. I think they'd have won that game. That's what's well, missing. And, and listen, I, I think there there's a. Whew, I'm going to go deep if I do this. I, I think there's an issue here with it, the development of attacking players in the United States and specifically the way that Major League Soccer has grown, that the amount of money spent is on the attacking phase of play. So you get a bunch of young players that are playing at the under 20 level, the Olympic level. And in that time period of 20 to 23, that's where that ceiling is being stunted because now you're not looking at attacking players and American attacking players being the focal point, playing game in, game out, and playing at the highest level. I think that that that's we're seeing much, much more than we ever have, but I still think that's the challenge, right? That is that has to be the challenge because we 
we see players playing in all the other positions. Um, my expectation is higher because when performances like this happen, Rennie, I am not only hopeful for the future, but I think they should be doing it week in, week out. Mm. I think it should be this type of, of ability to dominate certain phases of the game. Um, so yeah, I, I think when these guys, like we talked about, whether you're naive to the stage because you've never been there before, or you look at it and I can tell you what happens. I can tell you what the mentality is in that locker room. I can tell you what Tyler Adams and everybody says inside that huddle. F- them. Let's fucking do us. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim. Like that. I think that that's the mentality of this group. Mm. Now, whether they can do it on the day, the ebbs and flows of the game, are they chasing? Are they getting pulled apart? What are they doing with possession? How do they break the lines? How do they keep possession, get numbers forward? How do they generate chances? The variation of service, all of those things. I think this team's pretty damn good, man. And I'm excited for him. I'm excited for him. But again, none of this matters if we go out against Iran and we can't figure out how to win the game. One final question. I know we're over and we'll do a preview of Iran and, and all that sort of stuff. Another podcast. One final question, because it's fresh off the back of the game. Uh, there was a joke that we did on Grumpy Pundits for about two years between Rodney and Tommy and then occasionally me and Tim as well, which was Phil Foden needs to go out on loan from Manchester City to get some minutes because he's not mm-hmm. going to get a game for Man City. And, and Rodney and Tommy had that row. I mean, Tim will tell you every day for like three segments. And I was watching the game last night and I thought Phil Foden needs to go out on loan to another country for the rest of the World Cup to get some minutes. (laughs) And I just wanted to ask you this question. We'll keep it brief. Is Phil Foden England's best player? I would love to see that question posed to Pep Guardiola because I think he would say yes. Um, I don't know, again, and, and, and we've seen Kevin De Bruyne talk about this. We talked about Robert Lewandowski uh, earlier on Grumpy Pundits. When you have such a dominant club team, domestic team, and you go away to international duty, there is this identity that we think we are going to see that doesn't necessarily match up. If Gareth Southgate says that one of the reasons why he doesn't use Phil Foden is because he's not on the left, he would be on the right, that's not his position, that's not how he plays... I can understand it, and yet I strongly disagree with it because a player like Phil Foden is so smart. He's so gifted. He's so tactically aware of what he would have to do being an inverted left-footed player playing on the right or left-footed player playing on the left. I mean, look, look at the way Brazil plays and both of their attacking right midfielders or right wingers are left-footed players. So... For all of these conversations, for anything about is Phil Foden good enough, strong enough, best, is he not, tactics, do we need him, do we not need him, there's no reason to suggest he shouldn't be a starter for England. And I can understand being pragmatic and seeing a result out, but I think it was a big, big mistake not to bring him in and go for the jugular against the United States. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.